0: Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers with Janet and Tom. A weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is the always hungry John Dunn. If you want to join our conversation today, give us a call at 813 239 and John will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-433. Today's guest has been making waves in the Tampa Bay restaurant scene for more than 20 years. Farrell Alvarez has become one of the leading chefs in the state with a James Beard nomination and a Bib Gourmand distinction in the new Florida Michelin Guide for his flagship restaurant, Rooster and the Till. Through their growing company, Proper House Group, he and his partner, Ty Rodriguez, oversee Five restaurants, uh, four restaurants, in addition to Rooster and the Till, Nebraska Mini Mart in Tampa Heights, that's known for upscale casual food and its shuffleboard courts, Dang Dude Asian Fair and Gallitos Taqueria at Sparkman Wharf, and another Gallitos in Lakeland. And as you'll be hearing later in the hour, there is more to come. Farrell, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Probably the biggest food news in Florida this year has been the Michelin Guide. Rating of restaurants in uh, Miami, Orlando, and Tampa Bay. No Tampa Bay restaurant earned a coveted star while several in Miami and Orlando did. This annoyed many local boosters. (laughs) (laughs) Should Tampa Bay feel snubbed or is the whole Michelin thing overblown?
1: I don't think they should feel snubbed and I don't think it's overblown. Um, You know, uh, I think, my friends at Koya should feel snubbed. Uh, they should have got a bib at the very least. Uh, they only were mentioned. I think that was the biggest. Uh...
0: Koya? <laughs> what is, I'm not familiar with Koya.
1: Koya is a uh, small 8 or 12-seat omakase bar that is in South Tampa. Um, they closed down for a little bit to open. It was Noble Rice. They shut down. Okay. They rebranded as Koya, and then they opened up Noble Rice again in Sparkman Wharf now. So Eric and um, his wife, they run that restaurant, and yeah, it's Super focused Japanese cuisine. They do omakase one menu. You pay in advance. They release reservations about a month in advance. I think they fill up for that entire month rather quickly. It's in super high demand. They're shopping. super
0: expensive. It's like I mean, in my mind, it's like two hundred fifty dollars a person or something like that. Subjectively,
1: but yeah, you're getting, you know, the reality is, is, you know, we could talk about cost later if you yeah. want. It's a great long topic, but they, you know, they're flying in products from Japan that. Nobody else in Tampa is is flying in or using quite frankly, and these products are certainly not cheap, so I think that they charge accordingly. but yes, mm-hmm. it is definitely a higher ticket um, item. Uh, but that was the biggest you know uh, oversight in my opinion. You know, I know Bryce at Roca is um, definitely feeling the sting. I felt the sting as well from not getting a star, but for me personally, in retrospect, it was you know I was just um, I was just disappointed. I was de- definitely disappointed for 12 hours after the awards and uh, breakfast the next morning. I finally snapped out of it and I was, I am now grateful. Uh, all of me and my partners and our entire team were super grateful for, be- for the recognition. We never thought that we would have the opportunity to even be discussing Michelin in the state of Florida. So,
2: well, it's all very mysterious how they come to these uh, decisions, right? Uh, were you even aware that there was a Michelin? Uh, reviewer in your restaurant?
1: No, you are never aware who they are or when they come.
2: And so, uh, why do you think we didn't get any stars? Was this, uh, maybe some theories are Michelin decided to show their independence because they were paid by uh, Florida and local tourism uh, agencies to come review restaurants. Um, So, they got paid, they came here and said, nope, no stars for Tampa. Why do you suppose that happened in Tampa, but not Orlando Miami?
1: Um, I think it's a criteria basis. I, th- I think it's a matter of um, really understanding the type of hospitality that they're looking to judge. I don't think that people understand. Most people, your average customer, doesn't understand that level of of dining, perhaps, in terms of how they critique it. Um, but it's what they decided, and I, I can't really disagree. There's There's not really anything of Michelin quality yet in Tampa, aside from a few of us that might think so. But it's subjective, you know, and uh, clearly they did not think so. And it's okay. I think uh, we have another year and I think things are going to change for the better.
0: And you're saying maybe not Michelin star quality, but you did actually get a nod, the Bib Gourmand. Tell us what that is. What is the Bib Gourmand recognition?
1: Uh, Bib Gourmand is a recognition from Michelin that is a recognition one level below a single star. So if you will, it would be Bib Gourmand, And then it would be one star, two star, three star. Uh, So we got a BibGor mod mention in addition to Roka and Ichikoro in in Tampa Bay. Uh, So that means that it is worthy of a trip. It is going to be fun and tasty, but it is not as refined as the other criteria moving forward.
2: And have you seen uh, any impact on your business as a result of...
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've been fortunate. Um, I think right away, uh, as soon as we got back from the awards, I believe it was on a Thursday we were back in business on Friday and we started to see uh, an uptick in reservations and it's been a nice steady increase. And there's statistics that support that as well in terms of bib and and getting stars and how that increases your business percentage-wise from a revenue perspective.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF and our guest is restaurateur and chef award winning chef, uh, Farrell Alvarez. Uh, give us a call at 813 239 9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. If you want to tell us what's your favorite restaurant, do you think that there are Michelin star restaurants here in the Tampa Bay area and Tampa St. Pete? Have we been snubbed? Um, give us a call 813 239 9663. Um, so we were, we were saying that Tampa did not get a star though we did get the step below a star 3 of those Orlando and Miami did is it because their Tampa their food scenes are more evolved than ours um
1: i don't know i guess that would be kind of a subjective question you know i think that there's restaurants that bring complete packages in those cities that some of the restaurants around here fail to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a matter of having a conceptual view of hospitality. It's not about serving the coolest, most tasty dish. It's having a complete package. It's having hospitality, service, a strong beverage program, a clean design. You know, maintaining your restaurant in in, in on so many different levels. And so-
2: presentation is also seems very important. Uh, to the Michelin reviewers, how it looks on the plate.
1: Yeah, but that could be um, didn't, you know, that could also be disputed because in Thailand, there's street carts with a Michelin star. Hmm. Yeah, you know, so there's so many different criteria,s um, and nobody will ever be happy when they don't receive something. You know, including myself. You know, I went through I went through my time period on that, but I've learned to let go and focus on bigger and better things.
2: But the fact that we're even talking about Tampa restaurants in the same context of Michelin stars suggests that the Tampa food scene has definitely evolved tremendously since, let's say, you started Absolutely. some 25 years ago. How, how have you seen uh, things change here?
1: Um, things in change. You know, our, our population is changing. The people that are moving here is changing. I think um, with the addition of the Addition Hotel downtown, we're going to see another level of change. Um, you know, Marianne and Marty at Mise-en-Place, to me, were the pioneers of... High-end cuisine, or focus cuisine, or focused hospitality—however you want to verb it—and mm-hmm. um, you know I, that's quite frankly how I wanted to work for Marty. Because when I was you know seventeen, eighteen years old, I would read Gourmet magazine, which was at that time the food and wine of of society. And you know they would write about Marty, and I just thought it was the coolest thing that my hometown, you know Marty Blitz, was in those magazines. And that's how I first learned about what they were doing, and what I think they're on their thirty-sixth year of independent restaurants in Tampa, which is. Just remarkable.
0: And, of course, Marty um, Blitz and Marion Ferrance are the proprietors of Mise en Place. Uh, just, Tom and I remember when we were reporters at the Tampa Tribune back in the mid-'80s going to their storefront that had, it was just a counter. Just a a lunch, deli, basically. A deli, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, Platt on Platt Street. Street yeah. uh-huh. Yep, really come a long way.
2: From humble beginnings to fine dining. And what's impressive, I think, about Mise en Place is how they've managed to maintain that level of quality for, as you mentioned, 35, 36 years.
1: Absolutely, That yeah. must
2: be difficult. I mean, you, you must look at that and say, wow, how do they do that? But you've been there. You worked there. That was one of your uh, uh, sort of beginnings.
1: Uh, Hands down, my biggest uh, mentor is Marty Blitz. You know, uh, he's my big brother. I love him to death. I don't talk to him and see him enough, um, but they they put me on the right path.
2: Yeah. But getting back to the Michelin uh, uh, guide, how did you find out what the results were?
1: Um They invited us to a ceremony. So I I believe, and this is only my opinion, um, I don't have any facts to back this up, but because it was the first year that they were recognizing Florida, they decided to do an in-person award ceremony that was held at the Ritz Carlton in Orlando. Um, And there was a live ceremony and they announced it live. So up until that moment, we had no idea. They did ask, I did some press in the beginning, um, which was kind of made us hopeful uh, and mm-hmm. then they also contacted me in advance and asked if I would prepare a dish for the event to serve in like a tasting fashion to showcase Tampa Bay. And I was the only one asked to do that. So again, more hope. Um, How mean. Right? I that's know. cool though. What <laughs> tells you about the dish? What playing did you prepare? With, playing with my emotions. Um, <laughs> they're playing with
0: your emotions. Yeah, I think well, you made
2: a Peruvian dish. I, we we that's did.
1: my impression. I, be- I, I believe I served it to you on Saturday as well. It's yeah. now on our menu. It is a uh, brown sugar and ahi panca cured base scallop. It's sitting in a uh, homemade puddle, uh, a puddle of homemade black walnut milk, with some puffed quinoa, carbonated green grapes, a little bit of aji amarillo, and tangerine oil emulsion, and then it's garnished with wakatai, which is a Peruvian herb, also known as black mint.
0: Let's take a couple of uh, got a couple emails here. Um, Karen Underwood um, in Dunedin says um, this is like art critics. I loved Ratatouille the cartoon, but there's plenty of good food in our area. Um, Basically saying yeah, different tastes for different different strokes for different folks. Um, to your guest, bring a restaurant to Dunedin. So Karen would like you to bring a restaurant to Dunedin Farrell.
1: Okay, Karen, okay. let's talk about financing this and we'll we'll have a further discussion
0: (laughs) (laughs) and we'll talk a little bit more later in the show about um, the future plans that Farrell has coming up Um, we also do have an email from David Bryant David Bryant who's a a loyal listener to the show and actually early on suggested that we have Farrell on the show and if you'd like um, uh, recommend somebody for the Wavemaker show send us an email to WMNF at WMNF.org and we will consider um, that suggestion just like we consider David Bryant suggestion when he suggested having Farrell on the show. Um, And David asks um, Farrell to talk about the repurposing of Nebraska Mini Mart. First, uh, actually, Brian, David says, I live within walking distance of Rooster and the Till, and all the food there is delicious and memorable. Thank you so much. And then he wants to know about the repurposing of Nebraska Mini Mart. I love that spot, and I wonder if folks who aren't in the know still try to go there for cigarettes and a loaf of bread.
2: (laughs) No, we don't get that. We we don't get that. (laughs) Is that a tough spot during the summer, though? It is, is mostly outdoors?
1: Right? Yeah, it is. It, um, it's proven to be um, challenging to have outdoor venues in, in Florida. We've uh, learned that a couple times over now. Um, but Nebraska Mini Mart, you know, getting to that place of, of how we remodeled it and how we are now was um, completely organic. I was having lunch with my friend and now business partner, Sean Nugent, um, and we were right down the street at the Old Heights Bistro. And we were done early and I, we just walked up the block and I said, look at this property, you know, and had vision. This was, I guess, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, five years ago. Um, and then it just came to fruition. You know, we thought it would be a good idea to revitalize that property. Uh, the three of us came together, put our heads together, and um, we made it happen. And it's been really cool. We, during the pandemic, we shifted and switched gears into a more burger and fried chicken spot, um, which has helped us out tremendously. It's kind of opened us up to um, a larger demographic. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to get uh, Best Burger from Creative Loafing for Best of the Bay
2: maybe a year or two ago. But one of the early uh, uh, items you had in your menu, I believe, was a kimchi Philly cheesesteak. Is that yeah. my remembering correctly? Yeah, when
1: we first opened, it was more like global street food kind of um, yeah. stoner munchy food-esque <laughs> is the way I, I kind of approached it. And that was, yeah, we did a Korean cheesesteak, which was really cool.
0: Oh, and speaking of Rooster on the Till and a Nebraska Mini Mart, um, we've got an email from Bubba. He says, um, can Farrell speak about the recreating of Seminole Heights? It's amazing how the area has fewer crappy used car lots now and more great restaurants. And you were one of the first ones there 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, I was probably like third or fourth. Third or fourth? We, we were third or fourth. Um, yeah, I know you know, I believe Independent was there.
0: Independent, yeah. And
1: uh, so was Melissa with um, Ella's and then Greg and Michelle with the refinery. Mm -hmm. And then I think we came in uh, a close fourth place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, people thought we were crazy for going north of Hannah. Quite frankly, we did it because it was the only real estate we could afford. You know, we were backed into a situation um, in life and we were, it was, you know, make up your mind and and get it done. And that's how we kind of found that location and, and put it together. And, we wound up doubling our square footage and remodeling, I think, three times now. Uh, you know, just trying to adjust and make make constant adjustments and constant progression.
2: Well, um, your description of the dish that you made for the Michelin ceremony um, makes me wonder, uh, how who comes up with these uh, menu items and how do you come up with these things?
1: Yeah. Um, well, Brian Lampy is our executive chef at Rooster. Um, he helps me out with uh, getting to the finish line on the menus these days, but I still write all creative for our entire company in terms of um, our culinary program. And I get, that, I get asked that question a lot, especially um, at the restaurant in the heat of the moment. And I, I don't have a good answer to it. I typically tell people that whatever they do for a living, I'm sure they do it well. And I can't do that job as well. I believe this is my gift. You know, um, I'm not great at a lot of things. Food and beverage and restaurants, I believe, is one of them. And I've seemed to excel in that.
2: Yeah, I would say so. The uh, track record is pretty impressive so far. Thank you so um, much. So you've got five restaurants in operation now, um, but you're not going to sit on your laurels, right? No, no, no. What do, you, what do you have? What do you have planned?
1: So we are um, we are building Ash. This is going to be another flagship restaurant for us. Quite possibly. Well, this is the largest project we've done to date. This is going to be in Water Street it's on uh, 420 nebraska avenue so now we'll have two restaurants on nebraska avenue which is pretty cool uh one right next to Amelie arena and then obviously nebraska minimart uh that's going to be about an 85 seat on the inside um focused progressive modern italian restaurant mm-hmm. um we've worked with jin design group uh miko works architect um trimars our contractor and obviously our partners with spp/water street um Really excited about this. This is going to be really, really big for us. We got another thousand square foot outside, so we're going to be doing brunches. We'll be doing lunch and dinner seven days a week. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool.
2: Why Italian? Um, it was a little bit of
1: what the developer needed in terms of filling voids down there. Quite frankly, we had proposed something different, a concept that we have in our pocket that we want to execute on, and we will execute on soon in Tampa. Um, but there was a couple of people that came in uh, in before us for Water Street. And they had some exclusives, so we had to kind of pivot a little bit. Um, we went with Italian. It's—I always tell people—it's not going to be uh, pizzas and pastas and uh, meatballs with polenta, which is all well and good. Uh-huh. There, but there's plenty of that in Tampa. Um, going through the comments of our Instagram post and seeing what people's opinions were were pretty comical as well. But you know, we're just going to have fun with it. We're gonna—it's going to be focused. It's going to be um, approachable. It'll be diverse, and uh, it's going to be really freaking well,
2: cool. Well, Italy itself is very diverse when it comes to its food, so you have a lot of different uh, regions of the country to, to choose from to mix yeah, that up, right? we're
1: know. not trying to battle with anybody's grandmother's Italian cuisine. You know, we're going to do it Better our not. way. Yeah, you know, we just, um, we're not going to pigeonhole ourselves, and it's going to be our, our interpretation.
0: So Ash is um, coming up in Water Street. Um, you have two shipping container restaurants in Sparkman Wharf, and a third one coming. Is that Possibly,
1: correct? yeah. If they if they let me sign that lease, then we're definitely doing it. Um, the three of us are excited at that opportunity. We should be uh, hopefully moving forward with that in the next couple of weeks. So if that comes to fruition, we'll be doing another container in Channel Side as well.
0: And anything else in the works?
1: Um, man, you guys are digging, huh? I like it. Uh, yeah, we do have something else. We're under an LOI with a rather large concept, uh, slash project that will be in South Tampa. So that'll be our first, uh, South Tampa venture. And we're excited at that possibility as well. All you
0: South
2: Tampa listeners, uh,
1: that's some news for you.
0: Breaking news. That is, so that'll take you to eight restaurants. How many employees do you have?
1: I believe currently we have about 65 employees. Um, yeah, we've we've grown a lot. I think our biggest educational process for me, Ty and Sean, is just learning how to position ourselves and setting ourselves up for the future so that way we're working on the business and not in the business. Mm-hmm. And me as a chef, you know, that's coming from a hands-on trade, if you will, that was very challenging. It's very hard to not be in the kitchen 24-7.
2: And of course, you're doing this at a time that uh, is very challenging for restaurants. Um, you you have left a period of time that was extremely challenging for restaurants. At the height of the pandemic, you even closed your Rooster and the Till, correct?
1: We closed all the other restaurants except for Rooster and the Till. Well, we did close Rooster and the Till in the very beginning. We were about two to three weeks ahead of the game before the mandated closure, and uh, we chose to shut down two to three weeks early for the safety of our staff and our families.
0: So you've got um, a The two shipping containers in uh, uh, Sparkman Wharf and you're working on another restaurant in Water Street, that makes you part of this huge explosion of development that's all around in and, and downtown Tampa. What's it like trying to open a restaurant in the current environment where there's pressure on city permitting and then also supply chain issues that are kind of lingering from the pandemic?
1: It's very challenging. You know, you have to stay diligent. We work (laughs) <laughs> relentlessly on meeting with all of our people. There's always standing meetings. So we're always walking the spaces, making constant adjustments to um, purchase orders or to design or whatever it may be. Permitting is um I think the city of Tampa is getting flooded right now from mm-hmm. you know from the development process. So permitting is a little bit slowed down, but we're starting to get over some of these humps. Building a restaurant has always been challenging. You know, way before I was doing it, it was challenging. So um I think now some of these factors make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, lead times on equipment and things like walk-in coolers are, you know, double, triple what they used to be. But, you know, you uh, communicate with your team, you stay diligent, stay focused and work out the kinks and try to take a lot of slow, deep breaths.
0: Yeah. Um, But things are moving along.
1: Things are definitely moving along.
0: Um, and while we're talking about locations, I'm just curious, how did the, the Lakeland location come about? Um, we had Karen who says she'd like to see you in Dunedin. And I'm sure there are lots of people in downtown St. Pete that would like to see you there. So tell us about that. How do you pick the locations? Why Lakeland? Why not St. Pete?
1: Yeah, um, Jonathan and Sarah, the owners of the Joinery, which is the modern food hall in downtown Lakeland on Main Street. Uh, that's, they, they came to us when they had this conception of building um, a food hall. And they asked us to if we were interested in joining it. They, you know, put up a proposal for us. We went out there and checked it out. We thought it'd be a cool move. And it's turned out to be really great. It's been a great relationship with them. Um, we, I think we've been there for just over two years now. Pandemic kind of slowed some of that process down. But uh, yeah, it's been really great. And it was it was organic, you know. Um, we've had opportunities for St. Pete. Um, nothing really, like Dunedin, we've never mm-hmm. explored that. That's Zach's territory with the living room and social sonder, you know. Uh, and Staying in your sweet spot. There's something to be said about that. We know, a really cool thing to share that nobody knew about is we were actually building the largest project of our lives in um, outside of Washington D.C. Uh, with Amazon two headquarters in National Landing, which is used to be known as Crystal City. So it's right on the other side of the river, uh, outside the airport in D.C. And um, we were building that with JBG Smith, and that was something that was going to be uh, probably the last thing we did, <laughs> um, but during the pandemic, obviously things were jostled, and they gave us an opportunity to uh, discuss what we wanted to do. At that time, uh, me and my partners decided our best option was to pull out. It was bittersweet, but that gave us the option to kind of do what we're doing now here in Tampa and build on our roots in our hometown.
2: And Gaito is the restaurant that you have in Lakeland. It's also one of the two you have at Sparkman, um, along with the Asian uh, container that you have,
1: yeah, dang, dude.
2: And uh, so, uh, I'm just curious about uh, your decisions again about why that cuisine. So you have um, filling, Mexican and Asian. I mean, yeah, filling fill voids. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: the, you can't just do whatever you want, right? When you work with developers in these larger um, places, it has to be curated. It has to be intelligent. You can't have you know seven sneaker spots or eight purse stores, you know, or you can't have a bunch of Asian restaurants, uh, even though people would probably love those things. It has to be diversified so that you bring in. Different demographics and all different uh, likes. And if
2: you do a third container, what would that uh, be focused on?
1: Uh, I think we're going to focus more on uh, healthy salads with grains. Uh, We're going to be doing some different sandwiches and things like that, uh, feeding more of the lunch crowd, the office crowd. We got industrious there now, USF Medical. Uh, The office space is filling up very rapidly. So I know SPP has a heavy desire to try to take care of that lunch crowd, and we um, plan on helping them.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, and our guest today is Chef uh, Farrell Alvarez. Um, We'll be right back.
3: There's no party like a house party, and the best house <coughs> party is heard right here on WMNF. The Saturday Night House Party is heard Saturdays from 8 to 10 p.m. and hosted by yours truly, DDA Sin The best in old school dance music, hip-hop soul can be heard on the house party. So tune in and let us bring the party to you, the Saturday Night House Party. And we're back with...
0: Uh Farrell Alvarez, award-winning chef of Rooster and the Till and many other restaurants in the Tampa Bay area and more to come. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813 433 And I want to know what's your favorite restaurant in the Tampa Bay area. Where do you like to go for a great meal, whether or not it's a fine dining meal or a hole in the wall? Because I like it all, whether it's fine dining or basically even a good sandwich from a um, a bodega is fine with me. Um,
2: Farrell, it seems like everywhere you go, you're seeing signs about hiring, staffing shortages, restaurants that have cut back on their hours. Some restaurants that used to serve lunch or still haven't gone back to that. Um, this has uh, clearly been an issue since the pandemic. Uh, are, is this something that your uh, restaurant group is facing?
1: Yeah, I think we all face it on some level, um, some more than others. Uh, I think we've been a little bit fortunate. We've learned that creating a great culture is super important to employee retention and attraction. Um, out of our... 63 to 65 employees. I think our deficit is only about three cooks at Gaito Takaria right now in Sparkman's Wharf. So anybody that's listening, if you're looking to uh, join our family, we are hiring cooks. We start at $17 an hour and we're great people.
2: Uh, <laughs> $17 an hour. That's uh, not something you probably would have said uh, say five years ago?
1: Yeah, I think that goes in, to, in line with the culture conversation. You know, We, we definitely took a step back uh, the beginning of the year. I think it was maybe the end of last year and we reevaluated um, what we're paying and what we can pay and we just try to offer the best we can offer. You know, even if it's a little bit of hedging, um, we do that. And so, yeah, cooks start out right now within our fast casual concepts, a minimum of $17 per hour. Um, there's a lot of perks and benefits that go along with that as well. We do a wellness program where they have access to a primary care physician um, monthly and they can, you know, just see him on that level and help hmm. low, low level mental health, antibiotics, just to keep, you know, the general things. It's not a full, um, medical benefit, but we're growing to, into that as a company as well. And we plan on getting there very soon also. So yeah, we do whatever we can to you know be attractive and to maintain people. But I think the culture is the biggest part and that has helped us attract and retain. So I think that's why we do a little bit better than others. Well,
0: because uh, I think restaurant culture can be notoriously toxic. Um, and there's a TV show that I'm sure you've seen, The Bear um, series, that's just Great about a, a restaurant owner, and a lot of what you see in there, is some toxic um, kitchen environments, restaurant environments. Have did have you experienced anything like that in your life? Oh
1: or? yeah, yeah, I definitely experienced. I came up in that in that world. You know, I came up. Um, I mean, I came up before Food Network was around. I came up. My father hmm. is a uh, retired physician now, and um, you know, he was worried that I was going to be a greasy cook. <laughs> um, and quite frankly, at that time, it wasn't glorified. There was no, there was nothing the way that we look at chefs in restaurants now on TV and stuff. That it didn't exist when I mm-hmm. started washing dishes full time at 15 years old. Um, so I grew up a lot around a lot of toxicity, a lot of alcoholism, drug addiction, um, working crazy hours. You, you know, just things that you can never get away with now, and you shouldn't be allowed to, quite frankly. And I think that's kind of also why the promotion of toxicity within our culture, whether it's, um, you know, people thinking that they need to work 60 hours to be the best or people that just yell at their cooks and tell them that, you know, if they're not 100% committed, then get out of my kitchen because we want a Michelin star. Like that type of stuff is, that's a dead end road.
2: You don't think yelling at employees is (laughs) a good
1: way of managing? (laughs) I know. You know, you say that so comically, right? But you're right. But But young chefs, not even young, just chefs in general or people in the restaurant business, some of them still believe that's, A recipe for success, which just is dumbfounding to me when you look at society.
2: Maybe Um, they've watched too much Gordon Ramsay on TV.
1: You know, but that's TV, right? Even the Bear. Bear is a great show. I loved it. I just I started watching it and I finished it all in you know one or two days. Um, But even that, even some of like the uh, the anxiety you get from that, like
2: yeah, the first two episodes, frankly, there's so much yelling going on that I had to kind of push through that show to get to. Finally, the third episode when things start to calm down. A Absolutely.
1: Bit. Even myself, and I'm used to it, you know, like I, or I was used to it. But yeah, we don't, that stuff is completely unacceptable within our restaurant group. I mean, you could talk to anybody that has worked for us or does work for us. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Nobody raises their voice louder than I'm speaking to you right now, uh, even in the heat of the moment, heat of the battle. It just doesn't have to be that way. Um, you get more bees with honey than you do vinegar type of mentality. Also, I, I love changing people's mindsets on how it has to be. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to work people 70 hours. You have to hire more people and you have to give them a better way of life and better balance. And quite frankly, I think you'll get more out of them. Um, I just, I wish that more people shared that sentiment within our industry.
2: Well, we were there Friday night and the place was hopping. The place was packed. And of course, also your, uh, your kitchen is entirely open. Everyone is, can, can watch every move you make, I guess. Does that have an influence in, in, in how people are treated? How people are being. You got to keep your voice down. I hope it like-
1: does influence people and, and teach them that that's the way it can or perhaps should be. Not that I'm give, a God's gift to anything, you know, but like the, key, operating a kitchen like that with tranquility and, um, you know, it's like it's a, it's a really well orchestrated dance amongst the cooks and the chefs back there. Mm-hmm. They all work their butts off. Um, But those cooks, uh, they work only four days a week. They get full time hours and they receive all the benefits just like any of our other employees do. Um, So they have three days off. You know, that's just an unbelievable work to life balance.
2: But besides pay, one of the big issues in the last few years has been, you know, the Me Too movement. You saw some prominent chefs who were taken down by the way they treated women. And what is generally a male-dominated environment? How how have you dealt... Is that an issue that you've had to deal with uh, at your places or the places you've worked?
1: Um, You know, there's always, like, some undertone or some concern with that, but for the most part, all of our employees are really professional and really well-behaved. We love having... Female chefs in our kitchen. In fact, our AM, our our AM Sue chef is Sue's, you know, Chef Sue's from Ella's that everybody knows mm-hmm. and loves. She's been with us for a while. She runs the AM uh, program for us and essentially controls all of our prep, along with another young lady who's a cook. Um, you know, we 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 welcome more of it. We wish we saw more female resumes and anybody for that matter come across, you know, um, we are definitely open-minded in that regard. But yeah, I think it's um, it's changing for the better, for sure.
0: So in, uh, how realistic would you say the bear is generally overall?
1: In some capacity in somebody's life right now, it's very realistic. It, it, for the for proper house restaurant group, that type of energy and toxicity is not realistic. But um, yeah, it's it's very realistic. You know, that's the way a lot of people still work and live. It's, you know, it's 24 seven, it's go, go, go. Um, I could speak about why some different things that might be able to uh, assist them to get away from that type of um, operations. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, accountability and holding people accountable and setting up procedures and, you know, processes.
0: One of the scenes from that show that I thought was so funny is when uh, the chef goes home from his, this great restaurant where he's doing this great cooking and he eats like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in front of the TV. What do you eat at home? Do you
1: eat uh, good food or? I do. I do eat good food. <laughs> Fortunately, my wife is, um, she does enjoy cooking and she cooks well. So I get to weep those benefits, but um, I do eat out quite a bit. I am always at local independent restaurants supporting my friends and uh, industry family. So I spend way too much money uh, eating out, but I do enjoy it. It's part of my life. And uh, But at home, I do a lot of chicken, roasted chicken. Last night I had roasted chicken thighs with a salad of spinach and roasted beets and some walnuts. Simplistic, relatively healthy, tasty, mm-hmm. but um, I definitely you know hit up uh, Uber Eats and get dang dude from my own restaurant in Nebraska Mini Mart and stuff like that. I have my bouts as a fat kid and definitely get it in on some burgers and, <laughs> and chicken wings as well.
0: Are there any restaurants uh, around town that are favorites of yours that you like, Shit. other than your own? That are no, finted? no.
1: It, you know the, the funny part is, is um, I think I've only eaten that Rooster, my own restaurant, uh, maybe five times in. December is nine, our nine year anniversary. I don't feel comfortable eating there like in the sense where I'm a guest. I don't oh. like my people having to wait on me. And I also can't turn it off in terms of what I see and I'm always in a work mode. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to do that. And I don't really enjoy it. Um, but I do enjoy it from a, from, for what it is, but I don't enjoy being a guest in my own restaurant. Uh, but I eat at Roka a lot. I think Roka does a great job. Um, I got to try at Noble Rice, the new Noble Rice. I used to love the old Noble Rice. I go everywhere. You know, I go to mise en place. I go to fly bar. I go to Edison. I go to counterculture. We go to burns. We go to Ella I go to Donatello's, Averoni's, um,
0: Donatello. Donatello's is yeah. making a comeback. It's just Dona- like old school. Like, so it's old so school.
1: old and like gaudy <laughs> in it's, the it's, best it's way. It's in again, I think. Some yeah, exactly. Think it's-, it's like espresso martini. Like everybody hates it for a while, and then they just can't get enough, and then it's back on top.
0: Yeah, you're but the I- fourth <laughs> person I think in the last ten days that I've heard mention Donatello.
2: But I mean, you, you've you've uh, you opened a Mexican, uh, two Mexican restaurants. Uh, what about some Mexican places? Where do you go for good tacos? Or I mean, now we're going in the opposite direction of of uh, say Burns, but I mean. Let's face it. Some of the best food in the world is served yeah. in in uh, oh, for food trucks sure, and
1: for sure. street. I Well, you know, marts. my father's Colombian. My family's Colombian. So we, um, my mother's from New York, and they're Italian American. But I eat at a lot of Colombian spots too. I go to Antojitos a lot and do a lot of Colombian food. With my father. Um,
0: Antojitos, com- where is that? It's on Columbus okay. and right Armenia, Howard, I believe. I yeah, 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 Howard. Right. I, for- I right always in met
1: between them. the two. Yep, yep. Um, that's it's. Yeah, that's, that's a, there for always years, a staple place, for, yeah. yep, for empanadas and sancocho and things. Um,
2: so many taco places now in Tampa. It's, you know, I a, haven't
1: been on a big taco crawl hunt for quite some time. I do kind of, during my day, I try to eat very healthy, so I stay away from a lot of the fun things. Um, but back in the day, I would go to Acapulco Tacos. I saw Las Californias is really popular now. I haven't checked them out, but I need to check them out. Their birria looks fire. Um,
2: Taqueria Gonzalez on Howard Avenue, if you haven't been there. That's a oh, terrific I place near the post office on Howard.
1: All right, cool. I'll check that out.
0: We got a text message from Bubba, who says that his favorite restaurant is a hole-in-the-wall place called Viet House on Waters Avenue near Boulevard in Tampa. So freaking tasty, he says, Viet House. Nice. Tom and I like a place called Viet Kitchen, which is up on Waters um, uh Around down right, by is Down, down Water's in Down Mabry, Saigon basically.
2: Deli, the original Saigon Deli. Amazing. We also love Tinon, where they make their own uh, tofu. Tofu. Oh, yeah. They make their own bread. And yeah, that's an impressive place. Uh, if, uh, you're listening to Makers with Janet and Tom on WMNF. And our guest is Farrell Alvarez, award winning chef of Tampa's Rooster and the Till, which opened in 2013. Um, Carol, let's talk about your journey. We always like to talk about folks' journey on becoming a wave maker. So you grew up in Spring Hill, but went to high school in Cincinnati, where you got your first restaurant job, as you mentioned, washing dishes. After training at the Culinary Arts Academy at Cincinnati State, you returned to the Tampa Bay area, and after working at the Saddlebrook Resort, you worked for seven years at Misan Place now Mies, which was opened back in the mid-'80s by Marianne Ferentz and Marty Blitz, who we have mentioned already. Uh, they, you mentioned they brought a kind of a new take on fine dining restaurants. Um, what were your big lessons there? You mentioned that Marty is still like a brother to you. He's, a, I guess, a mentor. Uh, what was mm-hmm. it that—we that we had fine dining here before. We had Burns for a long time. But there was something that they did different, and what did you take away from that?
1: I think it was just uh, global cuisine and progressive cuisine. Marty is an encyclopedia of food. You know, He can talk to you about African food, Indonesian, Japanese, New Southern. I mean, you can't name a cuisine that Marty cannot speak to you about in terms of ingredients and understanding it.
2: And And he seems to want to try to put all of it on the menu. He
1: does. It is quite a big menu. (laughs) It's a huge menu. It's an
0: encyclopedic menu. It is. It really is.
1: Yep. He's a glutton for punishment. Um, but yeah, his brain works in such a unique way. I have never met one chef. I, I meet a lot of chefs and I travel a lot. And I have never met anybody that has such a diverse um, knowledge of cuisines like like Marty. Uh, so there he introduced me to things that I've never seen and heard of before. Um, and then also how it it can kind of work in the same restaurant, which is What rooster is, you know, you'll see Indian things, you'll see Moroccan things, you'll see Italian, Asian, and then kind of new American Mm -hmm. all in the same menu. Um, And in my opinion, it kind of, it works, you know, it's the way I like to eat. I like to, I don't like to be pigeonholed to, you know, one thing or a salad, an entree and a dessert and go home. Like that's very uh, passe to me. Mm -hmm. I want to try a bunch of things and enjoy a bunch of things. But Marty taught me that. Marty taught me global cuisine Marianne taught me that relationships and, mm. uh, are, are the backbone to a lot of things. So I think that really, that's clearly it stuck with me.
0: Interesting um, that you say that because I feel Tom and I were just talking about what made them so successful and we we're talking about that, yeah. about how the, the work that she does to make the, that restaurant successful. Because no
2: offense, you're the chef and you, all, you get all the credit, but the front of the house is just as important, right? (sighs) Marianne runs the front of the house, the business
1: side. 100%. Yeah, it's, we talk about this a lot in my group and everybody, they write a restaurant, like Farrell Alvarez is opening a restaurant, but that's not true. You know, it's Ty Rodriguez, it's Farrell Alvarez, it's Sean Nugent, it's Miles Gallagher, it's the Brian Lampies, it's the 63 to 65 employees that we have and truly, like every one of those people are monumental and and on our growth. Um, So it's by no means just me. I do... um, work my butt off to get us where we need to be, but we all do, and we move in succession, shoulder to shoulder, and I think that's why we're really strong.
2: And that's where you met your partner, Ty Rodriguez, right? Was that Mise
1: en Place? Yep, Yep. at Mise en Place.
0: Um, Let's get back to this conversation in a minute and take a call from Kirk. Kirk from St. Pete is on the line, and he wants to talk about one of his favorite restaurants. Kirk, you're on the line. What's on your mind?
3: Well, my vote for the best dive in St. Pete is a little tiny place called Simply Delicious, it's right under the Interstate. Office. I think it's ninth Avenue in Saint Pete. It's a Puerto Rican family that run it. The sandwiches are unbelievable. Everything they make is delicious and it's only takeout. That's the only
0: problem. Oh, I'll take out.
2: Love a good restaurant tip. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, thank you for oh, checking out. Thank you, folks.
0: Um, so we're back to your story, Farrell. So you were um met your partner at um at uh, Mise en Place and then you went off on your own and the two of you together at Cafe Dufresne, is that right? Or Yeah,
1: yeah. So Ty and I met uh, at Mise en Place and we had um we had we had some great years there. Um and we took it to good heights all together, all four of us, Marion and Marty being the other two obviously. And then we had an opportunity to move on and take over a restaurant on Harbor Island. and we did so and we were there for about four years. Um and then after four years we we all parted ways. And Ty was the executive, music, uh, the executive director for Gasparilla Music Festival mm-hmm. at that time. So he kind of had a full time gig that was helping him support his family, and I did not. <laughs> so I had an eight year old daughter. I think she was eight at the time, maybe seven, six, seven. Um, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. So we put together a plan, and I was going to open up a very small charcuterie based sandwich shop. Very, very similar to duck fat in Portland, Maine. If anybody knows of duck fat, they've been around forever, and they make just so they'll make you know different charcuteries and salumis and, and different um, use different meats and different local breads and put together really exceptional sandwiches and salads and charcuterie boards and cheese boards. Do a little really cool boutique wine by the glass program. That's what Rooster was going to be, hmm. uh, mostly based off the lack of capital that we had. Um, and the inability to build out a full-fledged restaurant. We only had about 1,100 and change on square feet, uh, and it was a white box. So we figured it out. We found free fencing in Seminole Heights and made a reclaimed wood wall. I found lights uh, that were re. Purpose chicken feeders on Etsy, mind you. This is nine <laughs> years ago. This is almost ten years ago now. So wh- whoever's judging me on style, you know, I apologize. But no,
0: chicken feeders are in. The yeah. chickens are super trendy right now. Yeah, it was the, the old
1: <laughs> reclaimed days where everything yeah. had to be reclaimed and repurposed.
0: And that's still a good thing to do. It's Absolutely, responsible from, yeah. um, from an environmental design standpoint.
1: perspective in restaurant. It's subjective it right you know. now.
2: Slow, right?
1: Exactly. It was. It was. It was trendy, but it also was affordable and it was yeah. our only way. So we were building things with our own hands, me and Brian Lampy at the time. And Miles helped us out quite a bit and we had no idea what we were doing. And I think being naive really helped us get to the finish line, quite frankly, because if we would have known what we were doing against what was really needed to be done, we probably would have backed out because we were so undercapitalized and so overworked.
0: Now, how is that experience different from what's happening at Ash?
1: <laughs> um, Ash is the most expensive project we have built to date. Uh, we have had the ability now to hire Jen Design Group, which is Jen Braverman and her team out of Houston, who is an exceptional woman with an unbelievable eye for design. I've been I've known her for a while now, and I've always wanted to work with her in coming up designing a restaurant. So we went back and forth for a while, and. Um, she made some exceptions for us and uh, we we saved some extra pennies and we made it happen. And um, we're going to be bringing some really great design that is super unique um, to me and to us and to Tampa. Uh, it's just going to be, it's, it's just, it's a one-off project. You know, it's just, you can't really duplicate these things. We didn't want it to be like everybody else. There's great designs, but a lot of things are copy and paste. We wanted it to be a, a true representation of us and light, bright, feminine, um, comfortable, sexy. Uh, so that's, that's, some war bringing,
0: But uh, not reclaimed um, chicken lights, chicken no, feeder there lights. Won't
1: be any reclaimed. I wish there was at this point because we're trying to VE the project and uh, stay under budget, but that seems comical.
0: Um, we got another um, call from John in Plant City. And if you want to give us a call, 813-239-9663, you can, or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. We're talking to award-winning chef Farrell Alvarez about the Tampa Bay food scene and his... Um, Rise to becoming an award-winning chef, Uh, John. Um, in Plant City, you're on your mind. Tell us what's your favorite restaurant.
3: Well, it's one over there in Safety Harbor, and I met this guy. Oh yeah, I'm I'm a local farmer, and I met met this fellow maybe seven, eight years ago, and he was seeking out, uh, you know, local produce, and that's where I met the guy. And uh, he's really a great person. Uh, You know, every. Which way? But anyhow, it was pizza. Pizzeria, pizza, pizzeria, pizzeria Gregorio.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Best pizza in the Tampa Bay area, let's face yeah,
3: it. Yeah, he is. And you go in there, and he's got the little sign there, and he really tries to source out local, which, you know, I think is so important. And then he's a hands-on, you know, like he makes everything, you know. He makes everything from scratch. And it is a truly delicious uh, a pizza. And uh, he is closed right now. They're remodeling, and he's coming up with a little different theme. But if you ever get a chance, man, it's worth going there. I, You know, I don't go out to a lot of restaurants, but I'm truly impressed by uh, the person and the restaurant.
2: Thank you very much for the show.
0: Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Um and if you want to call 813-239-9663 or send us an email to DJ at WMNF.org. Farrell, do you know that restaurant, Pizzeria Gregoria?
1: Absolutely. I think the three of us agree that yeah. it's definitely the best pizza around. Um, and that's a great that's a great example of something that is exceptional because one person is just completely committed to the craft. You know, he wants to source the best ingredients. It's nothing fancy. It's not foie gras and truffles. It's pizza, but he's doing it the best way possible. Everything is done by hand. It's homemade. It's not bought crap off the shelf.
2: He's making his own I sausage, for example. Everything,
1: yeah. everything, from from dough to to toppings, and probably even some homemade cheeses as well, with ricotta cheese. And I think what you you taste that type of love. And I think that's where some restaurants fall short. They think it's like creativity and buying things and composing them on a plate, but it's really about putting your true passion on the plate. Back
2: up the Cisco truck and, and, and put it on the, uh, <sighs> the the dock, right? And just yeah. you know, fry it up.
0: But let's talk about sourcing um, ingredients um, just because, you know, places like Peru or France and Italy where it's so easy really to do farm to table um, and, and have lots of really great fresh ingredients What's your experience like here in the Tampa Bay area?
1: It's very challenging here. Um, the grow season is very different, which is fine. You, as a chef, you can plan around that. It doesn't matter. I think getting the product to the restaurant, getting the farmers to be able to have volume to control restaurants or to support restaurants of certain sizes, you know, there's a few things that you can always get local here. You know, you can get a crap ton of okra and lettuces, <laughs> you know, um, and some hard squashes, um, but to get them delivered, consistently with, you know, proper invoicing, the whole business economic portion of it is what's challenging. And in the very beginning, I quite, I sold my car, I bought a truck and I was doing everything locally sourced for rooster. And I was literally driving to the local farms, picking things up. So the the argument is there. Like that's, if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. And that's what we did. But that's when we had 32 seats, you know, and then as we have tripled quadrupled our business it's very hard to do that. Like I personally can't do it. I can't expect my chefs to do it. Then you're adding, you know, time and labor. It's just not economical. So finding a way to bridge that gap, I think has been our biggest challenge here. John Matthews did it with Suncoast Food Alliance. I think he did it the best. As far as I was aware, he was the middleman between farms in Bradenton, Mayaca parish area and sourcing us all up here. And those days were, were great when we had those products coming in, but now it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. You know, anybody out there that's that's offering great product you said, you said aside from days. microgreens.
0: You said those get days. When was he doing that? I'm not...
1: This is definitely before the pandemic. I'm probably okay. like, four, at least four years
0: ago. Okay, so, so the pandemic contributed is maybe... Is that just, because
2: Florida's uh, uh, agriculture is so industrialized and on such a large scale that they're not able to serve smaller... Businesses yeah. like yours? Uh, unfortunately,
1: I don't have the answers. I don't know. In mean, um,
2: California, for example, is like a
0: bread. They they have so much product. They there. have so much, and it's I so think it's bountiful. I it's the growing season. What you were saying.
1: Yeah, but like the, to 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 argue that you know that the summer months are hot as hell and you can't grow anything. Right. But the winter months are perfect and beautiful, and then the cold makes the sugar snap and everything grows bountifully. It's just it's figuring the next step out beyond mm-hmm, that. The logistics.
2: You know? yeah. Well, If you travel to other countries like Italy, France, as Janet mentioned, the, there's those those. Farm to table is just the way they eat. I was just in Lima, Peru, and I, I could not believe the variety of ingredients that were available at the local market, including the most the freshest fish, the greatest ceviche I've ever had, and, and, and that that must be a challenge here because you just, I, I'm always amazed people say to me, why don't we have any great seafood restaurants here? We have so much, we're right on the Gulf, but for some reason, I, I don't know, maybe you could explain it.
1: I don't know if I can explain it. That is the seafood one, always is a, a common conversation. I think it's. Um it is a little bit more challenging to find something that's just solely locally based. And don't get me wrong. There is local product and you can get certain beautiful local things. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of consistency, a variety, and then the, the, the volume or the abundance. You know, everybody wants to sell you mushrooms and microgreens around here. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. We want we try to support those local growers and farmers as well. But to get the core things on a consistent level is all... Oh, Cons-
2: consistency is... is, is- I've never seen key. it. Key. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Chris Pont telling me once that con- to him, consistency is the most important thing for a successful restaurant. He he even joked, "If you're going to suck, at least suck consistently."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's when we look at it. But I will say, like, um, in terms of pork and beef that and chicken uh, and even duck, that's a lot easier to find yeah. locally. Um, you know, there's a lot of great people doing a lot of great things in that in that space um, here locally. Produce, not as easy. Uh, and then in terms of seafood restaurants, I don't know. That would be, um, I, I would like well, to, to look can, into that more. But
0: you can get good seafood. You know, you can get great shrimp down at the shrimp docks, and you can go over to, we go to Icy Sharks, and you can get great seafood there. You can get great red snapper, and you can get grouper. And as you mentioned, we've been going to... Um, we go to Trailbell Farms up in Temple Terrace, yeah, and we Travis. actually had Travis on our show. Um, he was our first wave maker, I think. He was. He um, was. And um, talked. We like to him, what they're
2: doing at Meacham Farm.
0: And we go regularly; are buying from him um, chicken and pork and beef, and actually recently a, a leg of lamb that we can't wait to cook. But
2: mm. it is a little more expensive, and 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 so I wonder if this is a challenge for some folks in Tampa. And I, I should. I wanted to go back to the issue of no uh, Michelin stars in Tampa. But you know, in St. Pete, they barely got mentioned. They were—they
1: weren't recognized. They weren't recognized, it they was weren't only recognized Tampa. at huh. all, right? Yeah, they didn't. I they bo- didn't
2: participate. From in what
1: this? I hear, they didn't want to participate financially in the recognition, so therefore they
2: weren't. So they recognized. were cut out. So it was re- yeah. This is really not the Tampa Bay area. It's just Michelin. Tampa. It's just Tampa. It's just okay. Tampa.
0: Yeah. I don't know what that means. They didn't want to participate. So what? What? What does that mean? Or St. Pete, hey, Clearwater. The yeah, You have to pay to get uh, the Michelin to come to your town and.
1: One hundred percent. Everything. Come on. Everything has a price. <laughs> well, Every- not
2: in Europe. In Europe, they'll go. Any but in America, that we've never had a Florida. Is that?
1: Are you are you sure about that
2: though? I don't think the countries are paying for them. I, yeah, I, I think
1: the different different cities and stuff is, to it a certain even, ex- even there. Okay. I, I believe it's a certain amount of um, of money exchanged for sponsorships and for the periodicals and things like that. It doesn't mean that they're paying for stars, although some would argue that. And I guess you know technically, I don't have the. I guess we're not proof, paying for you know.
0: stars because. We didn't get any. Yeah. Well, well, I hope we that got the Bib Gourmand. Come on now, that's right.
1: And if if if, if, <laughs> got if got that's really important to people, star. <laughs> and if that's really important to people here, then um, I hope that they you know take a deep breath and add a positivity, focus on their craft a little bit more, and yeah. uh, apply themselves, and then achieve what they wish.
2: But one of the another issue that's different between us and the other two cities that did get stars that I wanted to mention is they have a very robust tourism. Uh, market in both Miami and Orlando. Orlando is one uh-huh. of the biggest tourist uh, destinations in the world, and that influx of tourists and money can help support restaurants. They have a Ritz Carlton in Orlando. Mm-hmm. That's where the awards were announced. I think the restaurant at the Ritz Carlton got a star.
1: Yes, yeah, my in fact. Uh- Happy birthday, Gerald. He's driving to Tampa right now. It's Gerald Sombright. He's my friend, and he was the chef there, and it's his birthday today, and we're meeting at Happy Armature birthday? at 3 o'clock. Is
2: that right? Yeah. So, well, congratulations to them. But, I mean, do you think that could be part of it as well? I mean, there's the, money supports these kinds of fine dining establishments, don't you think?
1: Um yeah, but there's always an argument to like to combat that because there's places in Orlando that are super small, just like Rooster and the Till that got you know Cadence, Cadence. got a Michelin star, right? But, you know, it's just a, a small they're, group they're of friends, be sort of
2: the koi of uh, of Orlando. Yeah, and yeah.
1: then you can you know argue the fact that Knife and Spoon or Kappa at the Four Seasons and the Ritz got it as well. Uh, but then in Miami, there's small people that got it, and then there's you know Thomas Keller's restaurant at the Surf gl- you know Surf Club got it. So it's you know there's it's. It's always a good argument. It's always a good conversation. At the end of the day, it's important to you know pay attention to your craft and do what you think is right for your people because it does increase business, but you still got to go to work the next day. It doesn't mm-hmm. change your life, and it doesn't get you off the hook for anything right. crazy.
0: We were talking a little bit about costs, and just, just a final question with um, inflation and uh, such going on. How is that affecting your menu prices? Are you feeling that that's a pressure for you?
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit of pressure, but it's just uh, basic ec- ec- econom- economics of running a business. You know, if if I have to pay more, then you have to pay more, and those are like the brass tacks of explaining it. But you know, housing goes up, rent goes up, uh, gas goes up, car prices go up, like everything everything's going up. And obviously, we are we are experiencing an inflation right now. But uh, we try to keep it as affordable as possible. We run costs very strictly and uh, make sure that we're not gouging. Things are going up and, you, you know, has to be, people don't realize, like, the utilities go up, the labor goes up, everything goes up, not just the cost of food, and it all impacts how you price things. And it's
2: a business, so you have to cover your costs and make a profit.
1: Yeah, I'm in business to be in business and take care of my family and, and my employees and their family and all of my partners and everything, so absolutely. It's and it. I,
0: for what it's worth, I'd say for, you know... The experience and the food that you get at Rooster and the Till—it's it's highly affordable. It's not outrageous. No, thank
1: you. And we do all. small things like Thursday is half off at Rooster and the Till for anybody in the industry. Uh, We do other things at other spots where we offer discounts so that people that maybe can't afford us on the normal will have an opportunity.
2: And be sure if you go to try the Cobia Collar, it's amazing. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Uh, Thank you for being with us today, Um, Farrell. Thanks to John for answering the phone. Thanks to all of our uh, listeners. Thanks to those of you who called. And thanks to those of you who emailed. Stay tuned for three hours of fantastic music by Harrison Nash. That's up next after the NPR news. Cheers. This is WMNF Tampa.